Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. Hey everybody, you're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts, I'm Ephraim Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on today's episode, we're talking about Happy Phantom, the sixth track from Tori's first album, Little Earthquakes. I think that all of us, I believe in having lived before, so I believe that all of us have, and the only difference is acknowledging it. I... I used to run, because I'm a minister's daughter with Christian theology, I used to run away from the idea of having lived before. It was so final, it was so absolute. Born, die, heaven or hell. And that to me is just really kind of silly. I mean, if I died and I only lived for, say, 27 years, then what, I'd be hanging out with Jesus and having what kind of conversations? <laughs> I mean, it's all about soul growth, really. That's what I believe in. And I don't feel like there are those that are the haves and then the have-nots. It's all of us recognizing, I don't care what uh, money you make, I don't care what your position is, if we were all stripped of everything and put in the desert, what would we have? And if I die today, I'll be the happy phantom, and I'll go chasing the nuns out in the yard, and I'll run naked through the street without my mask on, and I will never need umbrellas in the rain, I'll wake up in strawberry fields every day. And the atrocities of school I can't forgive The happy phantom has no right to bitch Hi, David. Hey, Eve. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Thank you for asking. Uh, I'm ready for a breath of fresh air with this track. Really? Crucify Through Winter, that's a tough run. It was. I mean, yeah. it's, not, it's very hardcore. All of those songs back to back to back to back to back mm-hmm. makes for a memorable debut. It's time to stretch our legs. We're halfway through. Let's get up. Take a little walk. Yeah. Spend some time with Happy Phantom. Let's just dance. Let's just do a little dancing. All right. It's just death. How have you been since our last episode? I'm doing well. I'm glad to hear it. Better every day. One step closer to death every day anyway. If we died today, would we be the Happy Phantom? Well, I was going to ask you that actually. Really? What type of disembodied entity do you think you would be? And do you think Happy Phantom was Tori's first choice? Or do you think she played with a couple of different options? Like word choice? Yeah. Like, I don't know, peppy poltergeist? No. What? <laughs> no? <laughs> no. Okay. It didn't fit the rhyme scheme. Mm-hmm. I think Phantom might have always been there. But maybe Angry Phantom, Silly Phantom. Angry. Happy Phantom. Yeah. No, I think it was always Happy Phantom. Phantom, yeah. Probably all came to her at once. I like the word Phantom. I like the word Phantom. As opposed to Ghost or whatever she might have chosen. Right. Yeah. So when you say it's nice to stretch our legs a little bit, it was a tough run from Crucify to Winter. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Are you saying that Happy Phantom itself doesn't have the gravitas of the other tracks? Well, I would say that's true. That's not a controversial statement. I think while it's addressing death, which is obviously a heavy topic, there's a playfulness to it. Mm -hmm. And there's a lift here on the album at this point, I'm sure by design, like the placement of this track is very calculated, I would think. Yes. Coming after winter, let's brighten things up. I think she is doing that. Yeah. Give us a little breather. Mm -hmm. You know, even Shakespeare did that. The greatest writers of our time. (laughs) Shakespeare, he always gave comic relief. I've heard of him. Yes. Yes. William. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I wouldn't say that it doesn't have the gravitas because 
I think that this is a classic Tory song by nature of the fact that it's on Little Earthquakes. Everything on this album, pure gold, but it does serve a purpose. Should we just establish that we're going to stop saying classic Tory song from here on out and just assume that every song on this album bears that moniker? No, I think we should say it for every track that oh, we do okay. from here on out. <laughs> All right. All the tracks. Another classic Tory song. Here you go. Something about the song, what it does though, obviously the song is injecting humor into the album where it would not be otherwise. Imagine this song not on the album. Imagine the album without the song. It would just be a really heavy album. There wouldn't be a moment to breathe. So like, I like that you say, let's get up, let's stretch our legs, let's dance around a little bit. It doesn't have the emotional resonance maybe, but it does resonate on another level. I agree. That's not a criticism or a shortcoming of the song. It's not meant to be right. the journey, let's say, that the other songs are. Right. So It does exactly what she intended it to do. Yeah. And, and it I does think it well. As a trilogy, as Tori's first three albums can be examined, I think each of those three albums has their happy phantom that's kind of a nod to Tori's cabaret Mm -hmm. or lounge style. And those would be Phantom, Wrong Band, and Zebra. zebra. Yeah. Zebra. Zebra. I would love her to play all three of those songs back to back. Back to back. Just like, just give us a cabaret show, girl. Just do it. Do some version of the Lizard Lounge. Oh, yeah. All three <laughs> where she of plays all three of those that'd be great that'd be fun happy phantom of course is the sixth track on tori's first album little earthquakes which was released on the 13th of january 1992 in the uk and the 25th of february 1992 in the united states mm-hmm. good days what were you doing on those days um i was busy wouldn't you like to go back and just examine yourself on those days on to those see what days, you were doing? Well, it would be less interesting because I know I didn't buy the album on release day. So right, but you can not... see like what you were not up to. Like, What if you were at the record store that day, just like thumbing around and didn't notice it? I may have been looking for CNC Music Factory. Yeah, that's the thing that makes you go, hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hitting the Carl's Jr. drive-thru on the way home, probably. <laughs> I know myself. We didn't have a Carl's Jr. No? No. Not in Las Cruces? No. What'd you have? We didn't really do drive through too much because my mom would always cook, but we did Little Caesar's Pizza a lot. My mom loved Little Caesar's Pizza. Interesting. Remember when they actually gave you two pizzas yeah. when you ordered one? Caesar, Caesar. Yeah. Yep. They don't do that anymore, right? <laughs> no. Sometimes you'd forget in order to, and you'd be like, why do I have four pizzas? Right. <laughs> so Happy Phantom was written and performed Acoustic piano and vocals by Tori Amos. Keyboard programming by Phil Chennault, which this marks their first true collaboration, right? And it's interesting that she gave him space to do keyboards on her debut album, where she is known for being the piano player. Yeah, I would love to hear more about when and why that happens. And that's happened a few times. Fast Horse, for example, he's credited with the organ, I think. It's like why, obviously, as... (laughs) A musician who plays keyboards, Tori sort of uh, allocates that to him. It's interesting here because he was keyboard programming, so mm. you can imagine that like maybe he switched the number on the Casio or something. He could it could be anything from that to what like really recording the sounds that go into the keyboard. Mm-hmm. Maybe that and Possibly. Then she plays. Yeah, yeah. So there's a collaboration there that will of course flourish as the years go on. Paulino da Costa did percussion. Eric Williams did the dulcimer. John Beverly Jones recorded and mixed the track, assisted by Les. Ann Jones, Nepotism, produced by David Seegerson. Those are the credits for this sixth track. Quite a team assembled here. Yeah. And this song, it was not released as a single. It never appeared as a B-side. It really hasn't gotten that much love throughout the years as far as retrospectives are concerned or anything like that. But I do think what you said is very accurate. It serves a very specific purpose on this album and it does it well. I do think Leather sits alongside those other songs too, Mm. which I have to say. Mm -hmm. 
arguably leather fits that sort of cabaret or it mm-hmm. does not you know it's not there's not really an argument to be made right. against that if there's an argument to be made david though i will find it all right you do it but happy phantom is also playful and is a different style let's say yeah so i do think that leather and happy phantom sort of are sister songs i guess in that way from this album and maybe leather won as far as like playing it live leather's a little bit easier leather is more singable for the audience. It's a crowd pleaser. It is a crowd pleaser. So maybe that's why that one has stuck around so long. It's a Tory pleaser. She's awfully pleased with herself when she gets to that solo every time. When was the first time you heard the song? And do you have any memories of the first time you heard the song? I think this was, you know, I've mentioned that I had sort of a, not a hard time, but it was a process for me to lean and feel my way into this album. And I think this is another one that's easily accessible and sort of a gateway Mm -hmm. song. So I remember along with Winter following Crucify, I think I kind of cozied up to this one pretty early before some of the others and had it sort of in the rotation. Probably for me, I had the opposite experience. I was craving that like moody heaviness. I was craving, by the time I got into the earthquakes, really, I was craving that depth. Only later did I find a depth in the song that I really valued and appreciated. But when I was getting into this album, this was probably my least favorite track on the album. Mm-hmm. Knowing, even then suspecting that it was there for like comic relief or humor or a lightness, a light touch to add a light touch to the album. I love the idea of comic relief on a Tory album. <laughs> right. Like this is her pratfall. Right, exactly. This is her Jack Tripper moment right. if she ever had one. <laughs> but I love this song so much. And on certain days it will make me cry. There's parts of that, especially that third verse. Or will I see you, dear, and wish I could come back? You found a girl that you could truly love again? On certain days, that gets me right in the gut. Oh, no, I know. And that's that we've discussed before, that pairing of music that's deceptively Very light. or playful. Yeah. Yeah. With those heavy lyrics. Mm -hmm. Will you still call for me when she falls asleep? Mm. Oh, God, I can't wait to get to the line by line. (laughs) I'm just itching for the line by line. I think we should do a seance, too. You think we should go ghost hunting on this episode? Yeah, I do. I mean, I kind of always want to, but there's no better time. Right. We're going to try to contact the other side. I should have brought my Ouija board. Oh my God. Do you, you have one? I don't. Ugh. I don't keep things like that in the house. You don't dabble in the dark art? No. I dabble in the light arts. The art of podcasting. That's where I dabble. <laughs> you do more than dabble. Oh, thanks, David. Um, do you want to talk about our guests on the show before yes. we take a little break and come back? I want you to talk about them while I... M- gasp in disbelief (laughs) well we have a super fan on this episode you get it happy phantom someone famous who she's talented she's famous does her last name rhyme with amos no oh it's heather matarazzo all right you may know heather matarazzo from her breakout roles in films such as welcome to the dollhouse saved and roseanne scream three but we know her as a happy phantom super fan and soon you will too and she's gonna come on the show to talk about all her thoughts on happy phantom isn't that exciting i can't wait gold gold level guests that's what we bring you here shall we get on with it i'm ready let's do it happy phantom What if we died in the middle of recording Happy Phantom? You mean like today? Like today. (laughs) That would be meta. I mean, I'd go doing what I love. We would. Truly. I agree. All right, let's get to it. Okay. Here's a song called Happy Phantoms by Jose Miguel Diaz-Perales and Pablo Martinez-Garcia.
David. I never left. Neither did I. <laughs> Stayed right in the same spot. Like a vengeful spirit. Like an angry phantom? Can't get rid of me. Happy Phantom appears on Little Earthquakes, the CD. We talked about that. It also appears on the VHS Little Earthquakes Live, which was foundational in my love of Tori. Same. Then it doesn't appear again at all until A Piano in 2006. It wasn't on Tales of a Librarian. It wasn't on any of the original bootlegs. So it comes back on a piano, and then it's on two legs and boots in 2007, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Chicago, Illinois. With band, I believe. With the band, a week apart. Mm. That's exciting. Then Live at Montreux, which was released in 2008, but it's a performance in from 91 and 92. So old school. And then, of course, on the Little Earthquakes reissue, studio and live versions from april 2015 mm-hmm. and the live version that appeared on the little earthquakes reissue was originally on the silent all these years limited edition yes so a plucky little number with a brief history in her catalog yeah peppered throughout peppered it crops up unexpectedly just as you'd expect a happy phantom to do right whoa what are you <laughs> what doing, are you doing here, here? <laughs> And of course, thank you to our researcher, Shay Stymack, who put together our wonderful research document. She is golden. Thanks, Shay. Let's start out with this quote from The Rocket, Seattle, from May 1992. You want to start there? Okay. She says, I play with my body straight at the audience. The piano can be a wall between us, and I try to get around that. My style is confrontational, but I also have a sense of humor. I have fabulous shoes. She's always been there with the shoes. She always has been. Do you remember that one clip from 92 or 94 where she's showing off her wardrobe, and she's got a different kind of shoes in a Manolo Blahniks bag? And he's like, are those whatever shoes in a Manolo Blahniks bag? And she's like, they are! Ah!" Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And she's also wearing a swimsuit. (laughs) Oliver, find that clip now. Okay, now play it. The shoes are one thing that I'm kind of a freak about. These are my shoes. Look at these shoes. Wait a minute. I know this designer. These are like four, five hundred dollar shoes. Tommy. These are expensive. This is why I'm in debt. Sears Roebuck t-shirts. That's hysteric glamour. And then, whoa. These are Robert Closure in a Manola Blahnik bag. So back to the Rocket Seattle. As the songs on her new album and the direction of her conversation reveals, Amos is a complex singer-songwriter who is not afraid to reveal herself. Her work tends to seem self-confessional, which she says can get taken too seriously by the audience. Us? Never. We don't run away with things. When I sing these songs, I completely expose my heart. You have to go through these steps so that you can open yourself up on a higher level. Some people want to crawl out the window. Some of the show is funny, and some is really painful. When the audience gets too serious, Amos says she may start asking the crowd what they like on their bagels, or she may need to remind them the process of self-examination can also provide humor. She says, it's like you can be serious about Monty Python 2, a show that means a lot to me. It's not about me, ultimately. It's about what people see of themselves in my music. Interesting. I always peg Tori as more of a Benny Hill fan. <laughs> <laughs> but that's basically talking about her injecting humor into things, and there's a little humor to the song. Did she ever ask you what you wanted on your bagel? Never. Never. Not once. Mm-mm. Still looking for that bootleg, Tori. I feel like that never happened. I'm sure that happened. She <laughs> wouldn't say it happened if it didn't. We somehow went from her being like, thank you for coming. Lovely to see you. What can I get you on your bagel to? Get out of my show. <laughs> I get these tickets to people who like music. Well, you know, she demands a certain respect. And <laughs> she gets it. Um, you want to read this quote from Cream? Now, these are quotes, cute little quotes that we're putting here. This is a quote from Cream in May 92. I would love to, because while I don't take cream in my coffee, it is my favorite print song for sure. I'm finally comfortable wearing my heart on my sleeve, Amos noted proudly, 
adding that she feels a bit like the little engine that could, conquering daunting obstacles through sheer persistence. I hope I gave encouragement to everybody who writes songs in the bathtub and thinks they suck. There is hope. Oh, so she's saying she's written songs in the bathtub that, and she thinks they suck and that they must have appeared on the album. Now, I'm not saying that Tori did not arrive where she is or was at this point by sheer persistence because we've examined that for sure. But I think she also had like a little bit of a leg up in terms of being a highly gifted musical genius. Right. <laughs> she wasn't just like doodling away in the bathtub no, writing sure. songs that suck. But there's highly gifted musicians probably who are in the bathtub not being able to catch a break thinking they suck too that's true right and and even though she was highly gifted yeah she's she, it took her a very long time to get i know noticed or discovered or to become the musician that we know today and you don't want to stay in there too long thinking to suck because then you just start to prune <laughs> there is hope david <laughs> it makes me very reflective and a little sad to think of tori in the bathtub thinking she sucks and not being able to make it in the music industry and thinking like well maybe this isn't for me and giving up and if she had given up after Why Can't Tori Read, we, where would we be? Well, spoiler alert, it all worked out and everyone's fine. So <laughs> but I wouldn't it, lose too much sleep over it. I'm not going to lose too much sleep over it, but it adds perspective, David. It does. To our struggles as artists and everyone's struggle as an artist. To... I know. And I think of that periodically in terms of an artist that means so much to me went through so much what felt like rejection or failure before she emerged as the artist that we know her to be. Yeah, and love. Mm -hmm. This is from the Sacramento Bee on May 8th, 1992. She says, did I ever think I'd be talking about this process? Absolutely not. I was just writing so that I didn't go crazy. I wrote for me. I wasn't thinking about making a record. I knew that one had to come eventually. That's how things work if you're not dropped by your label. They do expect another one before you die. But you see, I was working on the dying part, so making another record wasn't first and foremost on my mind. Suicide really bores me, that's just too easy. I was working on becoming an emotional, limp custard. I was just really numb, and I didn't know how I had gotten to that state. I didn't know how I had gotten from being five years old and really clever and happy and imaginative and open to this sad and needy somebody. What do you think of that? I think Tori's talked a lot about getting to a place of feeling numb. And that this album and, you know, at several other points in her life, she sort of needed to find that spark again. And I love that in the sense that not that I like hearing that she or anybody else has gone through that, but it's inspiring to me. And of course, that's why we respond to Tori the way we do is it because it lets you know that you're not alone on some level, but also you don't ever solve everything. There are going to be different versions of these struggles throughout your life and you're never like done, right? So just having that kind of affirmed is comforting to me somehow. I like that she was saying, I was working on the dying part, meaning that she was becoming an emotional limp custard. The way she phrases it, I was working on the dying part. I'm sure at the time she's not saying like, I'm working on the dying part and then I'll reemerge. I'm sure that's not what was going on in her mind, but looking back on it, seeing that as work and as a necessary step is really meaningful to me in this quote that she phrases it in that way, that I wasn't ready to even think about writing a record because I was dying, like I was working on the dying part, but that that sort of affirms, like you said, that it's a step in the process. So what do you think she means by dying when she follows that up with making clear that she wasn't contemplating suicide or that things weren't quite that dire? That she was just an emotional limb custard. And I think probably when she said I was working on the dying part, she qualified it with, I wasn't considering suicide. I was just dying on the inside. I didn't know how I'd gotten to this point of needing whatever she needed what'd she say being a sad and needy somebody 
that's dying on yeah. the inside. Yeah. And somehow you go through, you know, dare I say it, a metaphorical death of sorts where old pieces of yourself kind of fall away and you emerge as a new person. Stronger, I feel like that's kind of, yeah. there was a rebirth happening here, but before you can get to that point, it often feels like a letting go or a death. So mm-hmm. well said, David. You want to read another quote? Sure. Let's take this one from the Network 40, July 1992. And this one actually talks about Happy Phantom specifically. Great. It's what we're here to do. Whether sincere or opening the door on her sense of humor, when you dig into other songs on the album, you don't have to go far to find bits of ironic comedy. In Happy Phantom, they say Confucius does his crossword with a pin. The humorous is just one more personality. I see this person quite a bit, or I'd be at the bottom of a river, she relates. If you don't get a sense of humor about yourself in the world, it can get really depressing. The world is an unhealthy place. I've always said, you can't have healthy people on a shitty planet. Well, guess what? We have a shit planet. That's not my opinion. It is. Runny jelly is runny jelly. That doesn't mean that there isn't hope. We can do something about it. Where does it start? That's why I sing about the self. It's got to start with me dealing with me, or I'm just a walking compost heap. I'm working on trying to be honest with myself, but I'm such a good little liar. Hmm. Hmm. I really like this quote because runny jelly is runny jelly. She's calling it as she sees it. She's very honest from the beginning. This is the first major press cycle. Yeah, it's her second album, technically. Her first solo album, solo debut as Tori Amos. And she's very open and honest. And there was an intensity about her, as we pointed out before. We're sitting down for an interview. It's a shit planet. What can I say? Your jelly's running. What would you do with runny jelly? You put it in the fridge, so you just got to put the planet in the fridge? Firm it up a little bit. Firm up the planet. Everything's figureoutable. Calm down, Tori. (sighs) Spoiler alert. We're recording this in 2019. Still a shit planet. Got worse. I don't think there's a lot to be gained from that point of view, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, thanks for arguing your point, David. This is from the Little Earthquake songbook. Tori says, when the songs began showing up, I wrote their names on separate envelopes and made a fairy ring in the middle of the house. I'd sit in the middle of the ring to focus on a song's direction. All of the songs seemed to work towards the completeness of the other. They decided we needed to hang out with death for a while. Bossy. I don't know if I'm making this up, but I vaguely recall that Happy Phantom was the last edition on the album. Am I wrong? Do you know? I don't know that I know that it was last. I thought... China was one of the first written but last added, but that's different. You mean this was one of the last ones written or? Added or Mm. written. I also seem to recall Me and a Gun was the last one added. So maybe I'm just confused. Maybe I've taken that quote to mean all the other songs decided we had a missing piece and it was death. Because I know that happened with Under the Pink and The Waitress. Like we got to have that moment of anger Mm. and rage. And then The Waitress sort of completed that album. Maybe I took that quote to me and the other songs decided we needed a song about death. Yeah, it's tricky because we'll never know exactly how the, the pieces came together. And, you know, we have a quote, I think, also from the Little Earthquake songbook where Tori essentially says she sat down and wrote leather in eight minutes. Mm-hmm. So that's OK. Banged it out. Done. But I imagine all of these others are works in progress. Right. And they're all kind of happening simultaneously. Yeah. So can you imagine writing leather in eight minutes? Can you imagine just writing a piece so iconic in eight minutes? No, no. I mean, we can't even do this show in under a day. I know. It takes us a full day to record an episode. (laughs) This is from the Really Deep Thoughts fanzine, issue two, winter of 93. You want to read this quote from Tori Amos? I'm going to hit you with it. Hit me with it, David. You feel the spirit of the piano running through you. As women, we've been taught to deny our sexuality, and I think that's one of our biggest crimes. This is bringing together the physical, emotional, and spiritual. I feel like I act as a channel for these forces. Where do you think that has a place here? Well, I think we're kind of talking about non-physical. 
-hmm. in terms of our happy phantom here. So that makes sense to me. Right. But spiritual, the spirit. uh Uh-huh. There is a spiritual component to Tori's music for sure. And I've used the word channel to describe her performance style. And I'm not suggesting that I sort of coined that way of describing it, but that is an apt way to describe what I often see in concert when she just seems to have that communication with the instrument and mm-hmm. the, the way she's able to improvise mm-hmm. um, or kind of get carried off in a moment definitely seems like she's a vessel for right. something and can do something very rare that not just anybody can do. And she sort of is able to give herself over to it. It always surprises me when I go to a concert and I see someone that plays piano and they play it for like a song here and there, or it comes out and then they play like two numbers on it or even one. And then they do the rest of their concert, like standing up at a microphone mm-hmm. or especially if they're known to have played piano on that track and they don't play it live. It reminds me how gifted she is and that, that she can do that. Yeah. It's play, amazing. Yeah. And we do take it for granted. We take it so much for granted because she's been doing it at a top level for so long. Right. It's amazing. I mean, I'll use the word conversation. The way that we can just sit down and talk. She can just sit down and like talk to the piano or the piano talks. And it's like, I don't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. It's not autopilot because it's not like she's not thinking. And she's just like playing something she's memorized. But the fact that she can just like speak through the piano, let's say, is crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tori Amos is gifted. <laughs> you <laughs> She's heard a it great here talent. first. She's a great talent. She's okay. From Vox, May 1994, Amos gleefully recollects exotic past lives as a fat little cook chopping up food for my rough, tough nights and her Icelandic warrior incarnation, Sven the Viking. She says, you know, if a gorgeous man walks into a bar, I look. Me too, Tori. I turn my head and check out Brutus, right? But if Sven walked in, he'd get way more chicks than this idiot. Sven's her alter ego, her Icelandic Viking alter ego. She slips into the first person as she relives some of her berserker conquests. I think I was a good guy, you know. Maybe I flayed some nuns and stuff and made some carpets in the old days. And that was kind of gross, but we've had some violent times. I know that. Okay. She's just a a jolly changeling. I feel like she ditched all this soon thereafter. Like even Dewdrop in Tori wasn't talking so much about past lives and Do you think this was part of her playing kooky for the Brits thing in air quotes that she later acknowledged? What do you mean playing kooky for the Brits? You know, later in her career, she kind of acknowledged that her persona was kind of curated. And I wouldn't necessarily say calculated, but she was playing up this aspect of spirituality, which isn't to say it was totally disingenuous, but it definitely sort of went away after this it's a tricky thing because i do think that she believed everything she said and i think that it was very authentic and she was talking about things that she was interested in and you know even if you look at that little earthquakes vhs that we love so much there's times where she's you know kooky quote unquote and i hate that word but kooky i hate it too but where yeah. she's talking about you gotta fight for your right to, to have, have a monster, monster but right we that's love a that. kooky statement i Fine. mean tori gets me all she wants is a monster and an right. enchilada right what else right. is there But then there are other times where she's very serious, where it's like intake, outtake, and those things are so clear and you get it, you know? She freaks me out in that clip. So she's vacillating back and forth. So I think that all of it was authentic. And yes, she has mentioned playing kooky, quote unquote, for the Brits. But I think that she quickly found out what they wanted to hear and played that kind of aspect. I mean, you got to get press, right? Especially around your first album. And when an album is good like this, you do what you got to do to get it out there. I agree. But it's just interesting that I still consider, you know, Pele early in her career, I guess, that she really dialed that back. And I'm wondering if she felt 
exposed she in sort a of way missed or... that missed the mark a little bit and wasn't being taken as seriously as she would have liked maybe uh, that would be an interesting question to ask her because of the media's tendency to dismiss her at a certain point mm-hmm. as just kooky without ever really discussing the complexity and the brilliance of the music which is so ridiculous because obviously that was there to back it up mm-hmm. it's not like she was just this zany personality that right. showed up on talk shows once in a while yeah. yeah but she always even though she was kooky and talked about fairies it was all very I felt like it was always grounded and I felt like she was always honest. It was an honest thing. It wasn't just like, you know, there's people who've talked about kooky things and have been kooky. It just feels disingenuous in a way. Do you agree? I agree. I think Tori always seemed at the very least well-read. It's not like right. she was just throwing out all these terms. Like when she would talk about mythology or whatever, like she actually knew mm-hmm. what she was talking about, mm-hmm. regardless of how you feel about that. So she was no champagne spiritualist. That right. <laughs> right. right. I do think at a certain point, probably around do drop in or probably honestly around right after Under the Pink and her breakup with Eric, things probably got really serious in her life. And it was less about having those conversations than talking about the circumstances behind each record. And that's probably why the conversations turned that's true. in serious directions. And once that happened, there's no going back, you know? But I still think you got to fight for your right to have a monster. Same. And I'd love to have met Sven the Berserker. <laughs> Sounds hot. Well, maybe we coexisted with her. And we just don't remember. Given our connection in this life, it wouldn't surprise me if we'd all met before. Right. You mean you and I? Right. And Tori. And Tori. She's in the mix maybe somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah. She was. Fin- he, maybe she killed us. Probably. She's killing me now. I'm the nun that she made a carpet out of. <laughs> God. <laughs> Nunsploitation. This is a clip from Tori's course on creativity, UCLA. On February 27th, 1995, this was just a very interesting thing that she did. It was like a master class. And, you know, being an alumnus of UCLA myself, they do things like this. They bring in musicians, writers, artists to talk. Anyway, here it is. It was kind of like trying to stay alive. At that point, Little Earthquakes was my first um, attempt at getting out of the egg. You know, that little chicken that kind of kicks out the egg and goes, okay. Uh, what have I really not been saying all these years? You know, you can wear the plastic snake pants and put 15,000 holes in your body, which is fine. Enjoy it. But what am I, what am I saying? I was saying absolutely nothing. So I started to think about what is the most powerful thing I can do for myself? The truth is actually the most shocking thing you can do because nobody really hears it much. So when you start saying things truthfully, I mean truthfully, there's no greater freedom than that. And I was really dying. So I had to find out, I had taken on all these belief systems, you know? Whether you go from Christianity to Buddhism to God, I'm gonna be one of those the Magdalene, yeah. I mean, to finally, it's like, no, wait a minute, I'm just, who's, this redhead died, of course. But, you know, what, what are my beliefs, not what you want me to believe, or what I should believe, but what do I really, really believe? And if there are a million people that are telling me I'm out of my mind, that should really be inconsequential. Because it's not your truth that's got to be mine, and same with you, you know. 
I love that the surface, and it was relatively recent, this was something that we knew she had done, but it's weird how things suddenly, you know, are dug up from someone's vault. This mm -hmm. appeared on YouTube like a few years ago. Yeah. Thank God it did. It was yeah. so really, you, if you haven't watched the whole thing, you should watch the whole thing. It's really interesting, especially because she's writing Pele. This is prior to the recording of it. And she is really just talking about her process and what she does to keep herself grounded and working and creative, right? Mm -hmm. So that is interesting in itself. But I, uh, it's always very cool when things just like suddenly appear out of nowhere. Like Lisa Ridlon at the time of this recording has uncovered at least three or four bootlegs from someone who's not even a Tory fan who posted them somewhere else on some site that he had the tapes. He sat on the tapes for 20 years because he's not a Tory fan, he didn't care. Yeah. And then he's like, I guess, cleaning out his old tapes and just posting things. And suddenly these brand new 1994 shows appear out of nowhere. Things we've long given up on. Yeah. Which is why we still have hope for the Michael Stipe collaboration. I'll never it, give up hope. It's out there. Someone has it. Someone and one has of these it. days, it's just going to pop up. I hope it does. <laughs> Give it to us. From Real Magazine, February 1997. You want to read this quote? Yes. Do it then. Some people are so very afraid of what they might find when they try to analyze themselves too much. However, you have to crawl into the wounds to discover what your fears are. Once the bleeding starts, the cleansing will also begin. I guess what I'm trying to get at is that you have to face the scary stuff, and in time you will find that you are much bigger than it is. So she said there's been similar sentiment before. She's all about crawling into the wound. And I love that. I think we both respond to it. There's mm -hmm. a point where you can't deny how you feel mm -hmm. any longer. And there's a way to not let the past or however you would like to term it, have power over you mm. by healing. But you can't do that if you're kind of in denial about it to begin with. Do you ever think... People can get addicted to the dark, to that, whatever that feeling is or whatever they're doing, the self-destructive behavior. I don't know that I would use the word addiction, maybe in some cases, but I can, dare I speak for myself and answer that question. I think there are certain states of mind or places of being that are comfortable to me, that are familiar for better or worse. And I would say, you know, some kind of depressive state is something that's familiar to me. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily that I want to be there, but it's like the devil, you know, type of thing, right. maybe. Right. So that resonates with me. From Death, The High Cost of Living, which is a graphic novel by Neil Gaiman. Tori wrote an introduction for that. And she says, on bad days, I talk to death constantly, not about suicide, because honestly, that's not dramatic enough. <laughs> Most of us love the stage, and suicide is definitely your last performance. And being addicted to the stage, suicide was never an option. Plus, people get to look you over and stare at your fatty bits, and you can't cross your legs to give that flattering thigh angle, and that's depressing. So we talk. She says things no one else seems to come up with. Like, let's have a hot dog, and then it's like nothing's impossible. She told me once there's a part of her in everyone, though Neil believes I'm more delirium than Tori, and death taught me to accept that, you know, wear your butterflies with pride. And when I do accept that, I know death is somewhere inside of me. She was the kind of girl all the girls wanted to be, I believe, because of her acceptance of what is. She keeps reminding me there is change in the what is, but change cannot be made till you accept the what is. First of all, I think that's a really beautiful introduction. And it reminds me a little bit of what I know, which is very little about reading tar tarot cards. Mm. That all I know is that death is not, doesn't mean death. It means change, great right. change. And I like that she says you can't have change until you accept the what is. What is now, what is here, what is mm -hmm. present, yeah. 
I agree with that, that death can be or is a transition and that it's not always a scary thing. It can be positive, which isn't to say I'm glamorizing the idea of death, but kind of along the lines of what you're saying with the tarot card, that Mm -hmm. means like a transformation of sorts. And I think that's interesting too, where she says, accepting what is, that's kind of the only position of power you have. Mm -hmm. You can move forward from where you are and it's not about always looking back or the hold that the past may have on you, or looking into the future and being afraid of what might happen, like your power is always in the present moment. So, And I love what you just said, that that's the only power that you have is to accept it, because what is, is. What's going to be is going to be, and change will come, whether you like it or not, or whether you can control it or not. So your only power is to accept it, roll with the tide, be a rubber band girl. We're mixing our metaphors now, mm-hmm. but okay. Roll with the tide, bend with the wind just to accept it. And how you approach that is really the definition of your character. Mm. You want to talk a little bit about the process of recording the song? Yes, I do. She said on December 18th, 2009 in Rolling Stone, you want to read this? I worked with John Philip Chanel on this, who did all the string arrangements for Midwinter Graces. So this is one of those collaborations that has stood the test of time, and I met him on this record. To talk about death was really important on Little Earthquakes because there was a part of me that had to die. The image that I had created for whatever reason had to die. Do you think she's specifically talking about her Why Can't Tori Read image, like the actual what she was presenting herself as? I think that's part of it, but just in general, who she saw herself to be as a person, who she wanted to be as an artist and that experience obviously kind of crystallized that for her. But I think there was a lot of her reconciling her beliefs and her past experience and sort of having that fall away and then seeing what was left. Mm -hmm. And I like that she's saying that we had to have a conversation with death, but here years later, 17 years later in 2009, it's a little bit more clear what she means that a certain part of myself had to die, and that's the conversation they're having with death. So as we approach the line by line here in a minute, I want to look at it being that she's killing that side of herself or letting that side Mm. of herself go or letting herself change and accepting what is and what will be. Yeah, and we'll get into this with the line by line, but I love how this kind of dovetails with the prior quote about being in the present moment. It's like if I was to die today, today is all I have. Who would I be or how would I look back on this experience? Mm. So, And you don't want to be angry and you don't want to be sad or you want to be happy. Mm. It never occurred to me that's obviously what she means. If I died right now, I would be happy. And the atrocities I can forgive at all kind of the past melts away and it has no hold over you. And the only thing like, I don't know, it's kind of the purity of who you are remains. Yeah. So... Here, it's happening already. We're getting ahead of ourselves, but we're getting to that point where a song becomes extremely profound and meaningful more than we ever knew. And we're like, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> this is about changing herself and allowing herself to change and being happy in the present moment. And what if you die today? Who would you be? <sighs> What's really today, important to you? I'd be the horny phantom. <laughs> today and every day. <laughs> and that's great. Anyhow. And then we... listen to me. And that's great. <laughs> <laughs> You're so supportive. You'd be the supportive phantom. I... Thank you. I guess that's good, right? Yeah. Let's do the line by line. Okay. And if I die today, I'll be the happy phantom. So here we are starting the song with the idea that if she were to die right now, 
she was happy. She's content, right? Mm -hmm. And I think there's kind of a say it and make it so sentiment here. Like this is what she would be hoping would Mm -hmm. happen. Um, But also kind of going back to what we were saying earlier, maybe the idea that kind of the pain of the human experience melts away. Right. When you die and only the good is left. Yeah. And I'll go chasing the nuns out in the yard. So she's goofing on the nuns. Who wouldn't? Nuns are Catholic. Why would she be chasing the nuns? I don't know. It's interesting that she references Catholicism and saints quite a bit as a, you know, Methodist minister's daughter where that's not part of the tradition. Right. We have Sister Ernestine and Cotolite Sneeze who mm-hmm. we know is a real person. That was one of Tori's piano teachers. So maybe here this is sort of a preview of that and she's tormenting these nuns who kind of represent authority figures from her childhood. Yes. Yeah. And I like the idea that she's chasing them, yeah. you know, giving them a spook. She's giving them a little runaround. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine a nun? Ah! You got to get the sisters need their yard time being in the right. convent all the time. You got to do a lap with their habits blowing back in the yeah. breeze. Getting a little flying nun thing happening. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. And I'll run naked through the street with all my mask on. Because there's nothing to worry about. No one can see you. You're naked. You're free. You got no mask on, meaning I think emotional. Mm-hmm. You're just there and yep. you're able to do and say and be whoever, whatever you want. Do you think you'd run around naked as a ghost? If I were a ghost and no one could see me, I would never put pants on. <laughs> I barely put pants on when I'm home and people yeah, can see me. I guess I don't either, but I don't feel the need to like expose other people to that. I don't feel the need to sing about it. <laughs> That's just something we all do, Tori. I write prose about it, but I don't set it to music. Right. <laughs> and I will never need umbrellas in the rain. Why not? She's not getting wet or she just doesn't, she's free. Because you're a shade. Nothing can touch you anymore. That's beautiful. (laughs) You can just run in the rain free, Hide between the droplets. I mean, running naked in the rain sounds pretty great. It really is really great. I might do that. Have you ever run naked in the rain? No, but now I kind of want to take myself on that trip to Vermont I was talking about and just like get a cabin and run around naked in the rain. Right. That seems like a very witchy thing to do. Maybe yeah. I want to have like some kind of weird <laughs> seance or some, ceremony yeah. and run I around naked. You. I can see that. Why happening. not? <laughs> um, I have been in a hot tub naked while it's started to rain and quickly ran to get my clothes and get out. <laughs> oh, that's a dream. You know, I love a hot tub. I love Maybe a- you don't. And it's peaceful when it rains, yeah. when it sprinkles and you're in the hot tub and you got like a little cool rain while you're in submerged in hot water. Yeah, something else Lovely. I want to do. Can we find a hot tub in the snow? Ooh. Where we can sit outside in the snow in the hot tub. I don't need to be like nude with you or anything. Wow. But... Okay. Excuse me for asking. <laughs> well, I want to make you uncomfortable. <laughs> Why would I be uncomfortable? You can do whatever you want. I make it a lot more often than you are. <laughs> I wake up in strawberry feet every day. Because you can go wherever you want, right? To your happy place, whatever makes you happy. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, and we have to assume this is a Beatles reference, right? Right. Strawberry fields forever. Forever. Every day. Mm-hmm. And the atrocities of school I can't forgive. It's about time. I mean, she dragged us through the mud with precious things, and we heard all about the atrocities of school, and now she's like, meh, I can forgive. Yeah. She... I don't know what I was so worked up about, well, Billy. Well, also, it goes back to what you were saying a few minutes ago, that anything that held you down just kind of washes away. Yes. And it's so easy to get caught up in your story, but... In your day-to-day details. But you don't want those things, nor do they really define you. Right. So... And maybe that is a tale for how to how you should live your life. And maybe it is, like you said, if she says it and she sings it and she then she can start to believe it right Mm -hmm. the atrocities of school she can forgive and she's worked through them now if you're going chronologically on the album she's worked through a lot of that in precious things you're right and now she can 
let it wash away. Yes. Chasing nuns in the nude. And laying in the strawberry fields naked. Always naked. This is from All These Years, the authorized biography. And here's a little story that I think is really cute. According to John Witherspoon, Tori may be a born performer, but she has a terrible sense of direction. He recalls the end of one performance when Tori walked off the wrong side of the stage. And all it was on the other side of the stage was a brick wall, but a brick wall with a curtain in front of it. And she actually stood behind the curtain. She thought she couldn't be seen, but underneath the curtain, you could see her shoes. Isn't that cute? And then also about this incident, Tori recalls, and this is in Under the Radar in 2017, June 2017, 25, seven years later. She says, the grade I would be given for sense of direction would, well, be a fail. When playing a show in Germany on my first world tour, at the end of the show, before the encores, I walked off the stage. Usually this is a chance to towel off, grab a quick sip of water, lippy up, and probably tell the crew you are changing the set list. On this particular occasion, however, I had opened the red velvet curtains only to walk into a brick wall. Mortified and realizing that, that would change the energy of the show, I pulled the curtains closed, hoping my red shoes would blend into the red curtain and counted to 50. This relied on the crew using telepathy and not blowing my cover. <laughs> That's cute. Do you think she's laying in strawberry fields accidentally? Like she just wound up there? I'm concerned for Tori's afterlife. And I have this concern myself. My greatest fear, not really my greatest fear, but I hate the idea that when I'm dead, I won't even know. Like don't sixth sense me. Don't tell me that like I'm going to die and still be confused. Tori could lose her sense of direction in the afterlife and like you just be banging around, not knowing where she's going, not knowing (laughs) if she's dead or alive. What field am I in? I don't know. That's terrible. She's trapped between worlds. That's what it is. I think there's a Whoopi Goldberg from Ghost Now. I think there's a freedom in not knowing. When you're dead, you're dead. And I've always believed that. Do I believe in an afterlife? Maybe. But when your physical body wipes away or when your physical body is expired, it's done. I don't know what I believe in, really, about the end of life. Well, you don't have to know. <laughs> Thank you. You can't. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no point. I'm a realist. I We're like in to... the now. If yeah. you've learned anything from Happy Phantom. Right. I'm here in the now, in the moment. And the atrocities of school I can't forgive. Well, Tori actually has a quote that kind of fits this line in the song. David, you want to hear it? Shove it into my ears. This is from Ur, the Netherlands, on March 7th, 1992. Tori says, I hated school. It was too much aimed at achievements. Who could write the best essay? You could never win because you were always doomed to fail. It became a battle for me. I felt manipulated. My imagination was killed. So those are the atrocities of school Mm. that eventually, only through death, can she forgive. Only through death can we escape the Peabody. She didn't say that at the commencement address. No, I don't think she did. She said a lot of F words, though. The happy phantom has no right to be. Because everything's perfect, right? It's afterlife is perfect. Yeah. What do I have left to complain about? Nothing. What do you think she means by that? That death is inevitable. But the way this is sung with the who's, to me, it almost seems like she's courting or flirting with death. Right. And again, not in a way that she's glamorizing it. Right. Or talking about suicide or anything. But I don't know. The way we confront fear in general is to kind of take the wind out of its sails and confront it head on. And mm. one of the ways you do that is you can't pretend that it's not going to happen. So take away the power, the yeah. fear of it. Yeah. And if she's creating and constructing this interesting and exuberant afterlife here in this first verse, why wouldn't she be excited about it yeah. coming or like looking forward to it? Oh, it's getting closer. The time is getting closer to just lay in strawberry fields and just have no right to bitch. To finally be a ghost. Right. Which for me is kind of like what I'm always working towards right. in this life or any other. Yeah. <laughs> to spook the nuns. Yeah. Woohoo! Every day we're getting closer. 
again, like you said, that it's inevitable and every day we walk towards death and we got to remembering that takes away the power of the fear of it all. The sun is getting dim. Will we pay for who we've been? Yeah. Interesting question to follow that verse, right? Will we pay for who we've been or we been? Will we pay? What does that mean? I think she's sort of weaving together the spiritual beliefs of her upbringing, which is, you know, the idea that there will be some sort of price to be paid for whatever sins you committed in this life. But I like the way she kind of turns it here and the way she says, yeah, affirming that there's like a wink happening. Like, ooh, I've been up to no good and I've kind of earned whatever's coming to me. She's really? like saying it with relish almost. You think? Kinda. You think she's answering the question? I think there's a double meaning here. I think the way it's delivered, particularly live, she's saying, will we pay for who we've been? Yeah. <laughs> you think we will pay for who we've been? I don't or think... Or you think she's saying that we will pay for who we've been? I don't think she believes that. I don't think she believes that some, you know, idea of a Christian God is going to be handing out punishments in the afterlife. Again, to me, it seems to more so be acknowledging a lust for life and making the most of what you have now and not looking at it in terms of committing a sin, but like I'm having a good time type of thing. It's interesting if you think of her happy afterlife being the payment for a happy life. Because mm -hmm. if we think of, I guess, heaven and hell, you think that's kind of same idea that you get the rewards if you live well. But also that's kind of what she's saying. Like if I die right now, and I'm finally content. I've realized who I am. I've killed that image of me before, or I let that image die and I changed. And I'm finally making music that I want to make and doing things that I want to do. For better or for worse, whether or not anyone hears it, I am happy. I am me. And the reward is a happy afterlife. So it's kind of this idea of heaven and hell. Or that idea of karmic retribution, I guess, a little bit more accurately. Also, maybe the idea that you create your own heaven or mm, hell. Yeah. And that could also be true as a human being. Right. But also in the afterlife. That the payment for being happy is eternal happiness mm. and that being miserable is its own punishment. I like that. So if I die today, I'll be the happy fun I don't know that I necessarily agree with what you said earlier about there's a double meaning in the yeah, but I really see, I, it never occurred to me even to think that. And now I'm reading these lyrics on the page and it's, so if I die today, I'll be the happy phantom, as if that's an answering the question before. Will we pay for who we've been? Yes. Yeah, so if I die today, I would, I'll be the happy phantom. Mm -hmm. So yes, we are paying for who we've been, but we're paying well for living well. And I'll go where my naughty's like a Jew. Her naughty's like her naughty bits. Yeah. And that's kind of where I go back to. Yeah. She's like, I'm not going to give in to this cycle of guilt and shame and sin that's been part of my life. She's been an unrepentant Geraldine from the beginning. Right. She's wearing her naughties like a jewel. Right. Like a brooch. <laughs> right. Like a tiara. Two brooches. Yeah. Three brooches. Three brooches. <laughs> She's a three brooch type of gal. <laughs> it's a three brooch night. I like this idea that She's not ashamed. There's no shame in the afterlife. There's no room for it. Where do you pin a brooch when you're running around naked? The idea that her naughties are sources of pride and beautiful. And in the afterlife, she'll make sure that they are. Yeah. They'll be my ticket to the Universal Opera. What is the Universal Opera? That party in the afterlife mm -hmm. where we all meet up. That's beautiful. And apparently she's like on the top tier because she's hanging out with buddha and confucius and judy garland yeah i don't know if we're getting invited to that party but her naughties are her ticket to the universal opera they give her access to yeah. the idea that they're her ticket to the universal opera that her pride gets her in 
Or that her naughties get her in. To me, that's a way of saying, you know, she really embraced life while she was Mm. here and I'm wearing everything I did with pride Mm -hmm. and that gets me into kind of this afterlife celebration where we all compare notes yeah that's great two very different people right we don't know but the way they live their lives was very different right that is true yeah and it's nice to see this image of them holding hands in the afterlife Mm. and everybody's there right all the best people the great equalizer yeah Judy Garland taking Buddha by the hand and then do you think the dwarves i mean i don't know what else one would think when you hear seven little men but (laughs) snow white's there yeah well they don't mention snow white girl (laughs) (laughs) but the seven dwarves name them all dopey grumpy happy sneezy bashful doc and grumpy i think you said grumpy twice of course i did (laughs) (laughs) sneezy dopey bashful doc angry happy dopey Angry. They <laughs> <laughs> say Confucius does his crossword with a pen. I find it interesting that Buddha and Confucius are there. We've gone from Catholicism to these sort of, you know, these Eastern figures. And this song does have the the production has an Eastern influence with the dulcimer that I think is really unusual in Tori's music. I don't think that really shows up anywhere else. But the instrumental bridge really has a kind of unique flavor. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that line? They say Confucius does his crossword with a pen. In the afterlife, that there's no confusion, only knowledge. Yeah. And you've really learned something. You have the confidence to get it all down in ink. Yeah. <laughs> I used to do crosswords with pens. Hubris. I know. And then I would like have to like go really dark when I'd get the wrong word in and I'd have to get the right word in. There was the idea that what you do, you can't erase, I guess, or that you like just put it down, get it down believe in yourself that's yeah. what it was commit even if you're wrong even, no and that's the thing you do in theater too you if you're gonna fail fail you large you get up there make a bold choice and if it's terrible at least you made the bold choice i've been doing that down. even without theater training right <laughs> so yes it's less hubris i would say and more commitment and belief in myself and i used to at, there was a period of time where I used to be very good at crosswords. Crosswords are a skill. They're not, it's not just about knowledge and the words. It's about playing the game. There's a game to it. Yeah. So yeah, I used to be very good at them for a while. I haven't done a crossword in ages. Dora, in fact, gave me a crossword desk calendar one year. Must've been 05, 04, something like that for Christmas. Or was it a Scrabble? Either way, I'm still really good at Scrabble. I don't like ridiculous trick question crossword clues. That only reveal themselves once you start filling in the answers. For oh, a, I love those. No, ridiculous. Where there's like a theme. You got to give me a yeah. chance. No. That's like getting to the end of an Agatha Christie novel and they introduce a character who was never there. And you're like, well, I never had a chance of figuring this out. So what's she the point? <laughs> One that I saw recently was, this was raised in Rosemary's Baby. And the answer was apostrophe which i guess means <laughs> the apostrophe and rosemary's was raised come on that's, that's ridiculous that's hilarious stupid i'm still the angel to a girl who hates to sin what does that mean i'm still the angel to the girl who hates to sin i think there's always an aspect of tori that wants to please people or she'll never really let go of being the minister's daughter and the one who wants to be the good one I think she's talked about herself like that. She's referred to herself as a nerd, but that she was kind of the cute goody two-shoes. And that sort of stopped working on people after a while. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
I've always looked at it personally, and maybe I'm completely off base here, but the girl who hates to sin, whoever she may be in this world, that Tori will act as her guardian angel in a way in the afterlife. I'm still the angel to the girl who hates to sin. I don't know if that's way off base, but there's got to be something in there. I'm still the angel to the girl who hates to sin. Or she's both. Oh, for sure. She's both. And I think she's acknowledging there's that part of her that still wants to be the good minister's daughter or the angel something. angel and the devil. Yeah. Devils and gods. Now that's an idea. Also, maybe maybe a bit of that she in the afterlife is all of these things that she always was. She's still the angel, but she's wearing her naughties like a jewel. And it's all coalesced into one magnificent, happy phantom being that is encapsulates all of these things, maybe? I think that's part of it, but there's something about this line that almost pulls me back to Earth. Yeah. That she's still alive in this moment. Yeah. I don't know. And again, like, obviously, especially on this album, there's so much religious guilt and conflict that she's working through. She's almost saying, like, I've made all this progress, but there's still a part of me that's beholden to this belief system. Right. And I agree with you. This moment really does bring us back to Earth. If I'm thinking, my original thought was that Tori is like some kind of guardian angel to this girl. So obviously there is an element of being on planet Earth, like being here on Earth, right? But even in the next verse, it's very earthly and it it does kind of come back down. You've had this whole parade, uh, the universal opera. You've seen the afterlife and how wonderful it is. And now here we're plummeted back into our consciousness Mm. into this moment with whatever her personal hell is or whatever she's dealing with. And that's what we're about to explore. It's interesting because for the first, you know, three quarters of the song or whatever, we've transcended our humanity and we're free from all of Mm -hmm. it. And now we're being sort of like pulled back. Yeah. If for no other reason than she's looking at people who Mm -hmm. she knew. Mm -hmm. That's well said. And I think that's why this third verse always hits me as so devastating. Because you've had this moment where you're free from all of that, all of the anxiety and all of the worry. And it sounds wonderful. It's amazing. It's fanciful, right? And then here you are, back on Earth, with this line. Oh, will I see you, dear, and wish I could come back? Like, will you mean more to me? And will my desire to be with you trump everything wonderful that the afterlife is? Mm. And still, everything's wonderful, but I want to be here in this human body with you am i gonna quote poltergeist again do it i keep doing that on this show do it but there's a monologue in poltergeist that i really love and i think is actually kind of profound where zelda rubenstein's character is talking about like why these spirits haven't moved on and it's because they're sort of enticed by their human life and all the people that they loved and kind of the sensual experience of what it means to be in a human body and eat food and like all of that like they can't let it go so i feel like she's kind of looking at the afterlife but then she's like yeah but there was all these things about being human that are so like intoxicating too i don't know yeah the human pleasures of the flesh right that seems to be i don't like that word but yeah flesh pleasure pleasure never had a day of it in my life no flesh but you know that's what she's talking about here will i see you dear and wish i could come back who else is she gonna come back for yeah because we have this next line you found a girl that you could truly love again it serves to note that truly is capitalized which as you're reading through the lyrics implies that he never loved her, that instead he truly loves this other mm-hmm. person. And do you get a sense that Tori's gone from the picture? You found a girl that you could truly love again, like he's moved on without her? Oh, yeah. And there she is kind of hovering. Yep, she's watching looking. this kind of jealously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Will you still call for me when she falls asleep? Or do we soon forget the things we cannot see? How devastating. I'm already like getting a little worked up about it. Will his desire for her slip his lips in the darkness of night? 
There's something about this line that's always seemed very literal to me, meaning I always imagined that at one point Tori had a relationship with someone who was with someone else, and she was kind of, dare I say, the fire on the side. Mm. So now she's passed on, but she's still sort of flying back to Earth on occasion to check in on this guy and see mm. what he's up to. You know, I believe that every song has a moment, especially every Tori song, where it's like that kernel of truth is revealed, and, that, and then you realize like that was the point of the song, or this was the heart of the song, mm-hmm. or what was revealed in that song, and I think this is it. Will you still call for me when she falls asleep, or do we soon forget the things we cannot see? And I think you're right. I think this is very grounded in possibly a real-life experience, and maybe this is what the song was about is the idea of what our legacy is to someone else, or if we leave, or if we move on, in this case, death. But just in general, when someone is done with us, is it just out of sight, out of mind? Did I mean Mm. anything to you? Mm. Will you still call for me in the darkness of night when it's just you in bed? At 4.48, which is supposedly the most dire time of night, at 4.48 a.m., will you still call for me? I don't know, there's something really heartbreaking about it, and that's why I, when I get to this verse, on certain days, it will kill me. Ugh. And not, we don't like the word confessional, right? To say that Tori is a confessional artist. Right. But there seems to be a moment here where you're right, where there's like a kernel of truth. Mm-hmm. And after this point with that final, will I pay for who I've been? I feel like the yeah there as an it's answer. Muted. It's even more pointed in that she seems to be answering that question. And again, it's almost like she's sort of owning up to something here that she maybe doesn't feel so great about. I've never heard the yas as part of the song. Really? I've always heard them as placeholders or as just like things that she's saying as she's playing. Yeah. She asks a direct question, will I pay for who I've been? And then says, yeah. <laughs> and you don't, you don't think she's answering? I think she, no, I guess. I'm not I don't, saying I'm right, but. No, I just never looked at them as an answer to the question. Maybe not placeholders, but I think she's musician things. Emphasizing the line, yeah. Yeah. As no, opposed to answering the question. Mm-hmm. That's, how I've, I that's totally, how I've seen it. I totally get what you're saying. And I'm really, you know, part of that is being colored by live performances, particularly on the Little Earthquakes video, which maybe we should right. take a look at. Yeah. I really think she almost turns to the audience and says, yeah, kind of raising her eyebrows. So you can't really get away from that. Can be. Can be. Will we pay? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah? Question yeah. mark? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Well, that's interesting. I like our different perspectives on it. Let's take a look at that Little Earthquakes performance from the VHS, which is honestly the best video to have come out when it did. It was perfect. It revealed Tori in a very open way. Let's listen. Will I see you, dear, and wish I could come back? You found a girl that you could truly love again. Will you still call for me when she falls asleep? Or do we soon forget the things we cannot see? Woo-hoo, the time is getting closer. performance yeah i hear what you're saying i still look at it as a punctuation or an emphasis or All a placeholder right. but i'm excited to explore it in the next 25 years as <laughs> maybe a response to her own question when has tori ever answered her own questions in a song though in police me perhaps the answer to the question lies in the question not in the next line 
She loves a callback. Police yourself. What's your favorite lyrical moment in the song? After our discussion, I'm really loving I'll wear my naughties like a jewel mm. and they'll be my ticket to the Universal Opera. I love that. Like, I'm not going to spend my afterlife feeling bad about anything I did. I lived life to the fullest and every scar, everything is sort of a trophy. Also, I look great in a brooch. <laughs> my favorite lyrical moment. Will you still call for me when she falls asleep or do we soon forget the things we cannot see? But after kind of realizing what the song is really talking about and encapsulating. I like every day we're getting closer, being excited about it or being, or looking forward to it at least, maybe not being excited about it, but looking forward to it. And you get to learn new things and have new experiences. What's the next adventure maybe? Yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about the music? Sure. Let's start with this very interesting demo leak. This demo was leaked, I don't know, somewhere 94, 95, something like that. Even maybe sooner than that. There are two, technically, two demo leaks, one with percussion and one without percussion. Do you want to talk about Let's play the one without percussion, and then you can talk about what you're thinking. Okay. And if I die today, I'll be the happy phantom. And I'll go chasing the nuns out in the yard. And I'll run naked through the street without my mask on. And I will never need umbrellas in the rain. I wake up in strawberry fields every day And the atrocities of school I can't forgive The happy phantom has no right to bitch The time is getting closer That's a little bit of that. Now, what were you going to say? I just have a hard time believing that these solo quote-unquote demos are actually demos. I feel like they're early radio performances and someone just tagged those as demos to sell bootlegs. Obviously, the one with percussion is a legit demo, so I guess it's possible. Mm -hmm. But they just seem too crystal clear, and they bear more of a resemblance to the way she played them on tour, and they seem more evolved to me than to be early demos preparing for the album recording. Right. If you were to believe they were demos, then you have to believe that this album had no growth from the time she wrote the songs in her room to the time they recorded them. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. And a lot of them strike me as performances later after they've been recorded Mm. for that reason. But this one, let's listen to this one. This is with percussion. So this is clearly a demo. Let's listen. Interesting. Paulino da Costa went wild. It's jangly. It's jangly. Yeah, and there's something it's about like, boom, it. Boom, boom, boom. 
have you heard the Sweet Dreams demo? Yes. It's like the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And there's something about these that seem like they came from the same world as Mary, mm-hmm. but like the final version of Mary. May Ray. May Ray. May Ray. Uh-huh. I feel like there's, on the final album version, there's an interesting Eastern flavor yeah. with the dulcimer and the percussion yes. that I don't think shows up anywhere else. Until Star of Wonder. Well, kind of. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah. Not quite. It's even more pronounced here, yeah. I think. But it's interesting and, you know, it sort of dovetails the references to Buddha and Confucius. So Mm -hmm. I think the production here is really interesting and unique in Tori's body of work. And, it, you know, I wish we could reach for better words sometimes, or at least I do, than weird. (laughs) But as a teenager first listening to this album, this was one of the songs that stood out to me as weird. Me too. Not only like the lyrics, but the way it sounded. And I loved it, but I was like, what is this? And it has that crazy piano instrumental bridge where all the instrumentation kicks in and it's unexpected. And again, the only word I could come up with was, this is just delightfully weird. And this doesn't sound like anything else. I want to amend something I said earlier where I, when I said that this was my least favorite track on the album. Now, of course, we're only here because all of these tracks are amazing, right? I don't think I had access to this track until much later in my life. Because you're, when I was a teenager, you're not thinking about death and you're not thinking of the afterlife and you're not thinking of that you're anything but immortal in a way, right? The concept um, I that, was like Lydia Dietz at that age. Really? So speak for yourself. <laughs> that I makes was, sense to me. By the time me. you've read this, mm. I will have plummeted. <laughs> were you? Off the winter river bridge god no but i could see you (laughs) with a black veil over your face yeah i just didn't have any concept that this was what she was singing about or that it was as deep as it was i'm only really starting to get that now i feel like i was obsessed with death in my 20s and that's kind of when i got the song quote unquote until today musically it's very flavorful it's very i think it's fun for lack of a better word it is fun and everything that polino da costa is doing and everything that Phil Chanel has done in the programming is supporting that. And Eric Williams, the dulcimer player, everything that they're doing is supporting this idea, this fun, fanciful afterlife. And the idea, it's like the theme of the song, if Tori sat them down at a production meeting, it's like the theme of the song is universal opera. What does that sound like to you? Here's the guest list. Right. Buddha, Confucius, Judy Garland, Judy and, Garland and the Seven Dwarves. Right. But and I myself. Think they actually captured that. I think they did. <laughs> yeah. I, I would love to be part of that first production meeting yeah. for Happy Phantom. <laughs> Do you think she had production meetings for each of the songs? I, I hope so. Like, okay. They sat around a table and she's like, let me explain the idea. Yeah. It's like that smoothie I made. Oh, yeah. The sludge outside of her hovel yeah. or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yes. totally. Something um, we can't forget to, tell me, to what, talk about something I've clearly is the barely perceptible but still present flub at the end of the studio version. Yes. And that flub often replicates itself live. Yeah, she does have a hard time with the ending with the, of the yeah, song, she does. right? And yeah. we'll, we have a little montage set up for the end of the show. Oh, great. Because it's fun. It's cute. Whatever. Yeah. It's fine. You want to play it? I'm not sure what she does. She doesn't hit a bum note, but she does something that she takes exception to. She says, oops. Yeah. If you, if you listen very carefully, let's play it again. She says, oops. Yeah. And, and it's you like can... they've cut it out. It's like they've really brought it down in the mix. Yeah. And you can also very faintly hear her tapping her foot, mm-hmm. which I love. Will I pay for who I've been? 
I think that she has a difficult time with that last bit. It's really interesting because she wrote it. It went on her album. Her own mind is much more complicated than her fingers. <laughs> like, you know, she's even too good for herself. I think she has a similar problem with the very end of Father Lucifer. She's flubbed that many times. How's that go? And often the arrangement is different than on the album. But when she plays it the way it is on the album, she usually kind of gets it wrong. We love when Tori, we love when Tori gives us something like that, I think. <laughs> you remember the Mr. Zebra? From yeah. New oh, York. No, oh, no, wait, oh, wait, stop. wait, wait. Figure it out. Figure it out. No, 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 wait. Figure it out. So, this would be the time that we would typically do Little Earthquakes poetry, David. I feel a butt. But I'm suspending it for the rest of this season. Are you serious? There's nobody playing. Oh, my God. What do you want from me? I well, can't make up poems. I mean, I can. I've spent my whole life making up poetry. You, your life is a poem. Thank you. Should we, you and I just do it for each other? And then one of us wins the collectible? Why we just not? like hand off the same collectible for the rest of the season? I would be happy with that. That'd be fine. No, we're suspending LE poetry. I think right now it's partly because we're reaching a smaller audience of only patron supporters eventually when these episodes reach the public conscious people are going to wish they could play little earthquakes poetry but we're suspending it halfway through the album i think that i think that sounds fine i think that makes sense i mean little earthquakes had a small but loyal audience to begin with and it slowly built over time so you know maybe a couple years from now people will be all about it we'll be like too late we're on to venus so anytime in the future if you want to write us a poem Using the capital words for any of the songs, just tag it Ellie Poetry and tweet at us and we'll get it. I mean, in the future. But for now, done. Game over. I think people boned out because cum wasn't one of them and they got bored. So they were like, <laughs> eh, not worth my time. Uh, I hope that's not the reason. Let's listen to Yanta. Okay. Let's listen to his version of the song. And you can support Yanta. Yanta has done almost every cover of Tori Amos. He's done an instrumental cover of every Tori Amos song, basically. And you can support him and his ongoing work at patreon.com slash Yanta. He's incredible. We have a conversation with him in another episode. And let's hear his version now. I think a lot of her training as a lounge player comes out here. Right? You can feel that here. Like, this would be a fun song live. Which it is. this because there's so much character in the music yeah toe tapper a real toe tapper Mm, barn burner barn burner i'm not sure this song is totally unrelated to banana king too they came from a similar place maybe talk about that a little i think there's a somewhat of a musical similarity here and it's playful and driving. Time to be a ghost. 
Show it off, girl. I love how we're talking about it as if this is Tori playing. <laughs> May as well be. interesting what went under that like real raw verse you know it was just kind of a rhythm that didn't alter it was just boom 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 in there, right? <laughs> Get it, Yanta. Please support Yanta at patreon.com slash Yanta. He does incredible work. What did you think of listening to the song without the words? You know, this is one of those moments were stripped down i already said this this the song has such character and it almost tells a story independent of the lyrics and i think that all comes through in the composition itself that the music itself tells a story mm -hmm. that's very different than any other story on this album certainly for sure well said david there was something about the little earthquakes era where, where tori was all about the yai da dies we get him here at the end of happy phantom in leather too yeah die 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 yeah you're right hand yeah did die die and we never get that again well i think she listened back and she was like what the fuck was i doing the 90s were a Yada da da time. Yeah. Maybe she thought it over and was like, maybe I should let the piano speak for itself. No, I like that she's like singing. You know, there are a few moments where you catch her singing along the notes, you know? Like when she's playing live or something, you hear like her singing what the notes are in her head. It's just cute. It's like musical placeholders. Can you imagine if that gorgeous, pristine beginning of Under the Pink with Pretty Good Year was actually yai da 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 Yes, I can't imagine. I wish. I want the yai da da die version. No, you don't. Someone make that, please, and we'll play it. I would yai da die for you. <laughs> I would yai da da die, die of shame. You. Please support Yanta, patreon.com slash Yanta. He's amazing. He's an amazing and talented musician in his own right. So go support his work, patreon.com slash Yanta. Thank you for all that you do, Yanta, and we'll be right back to talk to our guests. Here's a cover of Happy Phantom by Melissa Cox. Right to bitch. Woohoo! The time is getting closer. Woohoo! The time to be a ghost. Woohoo! Every day we're getting closer. The sun is getting closer. 
crossword with a pen I'm still the angel to a girl who hates to sin Alright, ladies and gentlemen, we are back with the one and only Heather Matarazzo. You know her from her breakout roles in Welcome to the Dollhouse, Saved, Roseanne, Scream 3. But what you might not know is that she is also a Tori Amos fan. She hosts her own podcast called Shut Up and Listen, and she's here today to talk about Happy Phantom. Hi, Heather. Hi. Thank you so much for being on our show. We're very excited to have you. Well, I'm very excited to be on and to talk all things Tori. Yes, we love it. Okay, first and foremost, tell us your origin story. How did you discover Tori's music? Um, I think it was, if I remember correctly, there was a girl that I had met in high school that was a really big Tori Amos fan. And at the time, I had been listening to a lot of Fiona Apple and Ani DeFranco, you know, just typical fucking 90s teenage <laughs> angst music. And the truth is, is that I, I didn't gain a, a deeper appreciation for Ms. Amos until a romantic relationship that I had been in for six years where my ex was obsessed with her and I got to have a new experience with Tori or her music, her lyrics that I really, really, really deeply appreciated. You know, I think that it took me a little time to fully grasp the emotional nuance um, that she carries with her throughout her work. And I've been a fan of her since. That's interesting. As someone who approached Tori through an ex, is Tori forever linked to the ex? Or how how long did it take for you to kind of have Tori for yourself? I mean, well, that's the thing about music, though. I feel that once somebody introduces you to something, it becomes yours, you know? So it was never really um, my appreciation and love for Tori, even though it was introduced to me through my ex, I don't listen to Tori's music and then I automatically think of my ex. <laughs> so great, you've absorbed her. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I loved hearing sort of the other artists you were listening to that maybe laid the groundwork for Tori fandom or, you know, giving you access to her music. But do you remember what it was like when you heard her for the first time and how her music seemed different from those other artists or what that experience was like? I mean, yeah, Tori has a, a whimsical quality that Fiona and Ani don't share. There's an ethereal nature and quality to her music that doesn't solely grind your heart or soul into the ground and the dirt, but is able to transport you so like you're bouncing off of clouds. <laughs> you know, that's something that, that I love about her, and I also love that song as well. Have you ever had the opportunity to see Tori live? Once um, at Madison Square Garden in the late 
2000s. Oh. Um, and I'm sad to say that I can't remember the whole experience. It's not that vivid to me. I remember specifically that there were people behind us that were in some way connected with Tori and somehow also knew me. But again, I, my, my memory is a little bit shoddy with that evening, except to say that she was wonderful to witness. We're going to chalk that up to you. We're having an otherworldly experience. Yes. Yes, yes. So your signature song is Happy Phantom. We call it a signature song, the per- a person's favorite go-to track. And mm-hmm. would you say your signature song is Happy Phantom? I would say that it's a tie. I mean, it really kind of depends on... My go-to really is always Happy Phantom, but it's also depending upon my mood. Like Velvet Revolution is one that I love. Big Wheel is another one that I love. Well, we're going to book you for those two. Just so you know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, I I think that's what's so wonderful about her extensive library is that it speaks to different aspects of self at different times, you know, and and that to me is the signature of an incredible artist when their work is timeless and, and you get different things from it at, at different times. Well, you mentioned a whimsical quality to Tori's music, which I think is very much present on Happy Phantom. Can you kind of talk about how you experience the song sonically, I guess, with that quality present, but also uh, the subject matter that she's exploring? I mean, it's a lighthearted mixed with, I think, a very heavy wink like what's going to happen when we die. And she's she's actively, assertively creating her choice in that. You know, I think that signature line, there's Judy Garland taking Buddha by the hand. Um, it's such a beautiful, beautiful visual. And the, the ode to almost turning Catholicism on its head and recognizing that we're, we're, we're all going to have our own ideas about what it is to die. You know, and her specific experience with wanting to know whether or not she's going to be remembered, Mm. you know, um, and what is it to listen to your intuitive feelings, especially for people that have had the experience of having loved ones pass, you know, it's that and and coming at it from the perception of the ghost of the phantom, you know, will you be able to feel me? Will you be able to see me? Um, I think that's really intriguing. I love that you said she asserts her vision of what's going to happen because, you know, we are so plagued with often, like, we just don't know what's going to happen. But I like the way you said she asserts her idea of it and what she sees for her passing. Does that resonate with you on a deeper level as well? I mean, yeah, I think about death all the time. I think about my own death all the time. And and I feel that, you know, for like rightly or wrongly or whether it's healthy or not. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, who knows? But getting to go from a fearship with death to a friendship, that by the time I die, I hope that I am greeting death like a friend because that means then that I've greeted life as a friend. I love the way you said that. And I think that is so perfectly captured in the music itself. There's kind of this subject matter that could be potentially heavy, but the the music itself is kind of playful. Yeah. And yeah, there really is sort of a, a friendship with death. I love that. What would you say is your favorite lyrical moment in the song? Or two or three? Oh, oh gosh. 
um, all I can hear is, will we pay for who we've been? You know, that, again, it's the whole entire song and that, and again, I've said this before, like Judy Garland taking Buddha by the hand, the visuals on top of the theoretical questions that she poses. And also for someone like me that grew up Roman Catholic, i.e. filled with tremendous amount of guilt and shame. Right. (laughs) (laughs) There's always the question of morality, and who's the one that sets that? And we have all of the world's major religions that are telling us how we, quote unquote, should live, what that righteous life, quote unquote, looks like. But then compared to who? Compared to what? You know, and that's what I love about her, too, is her continual exploration of her experience growing up with religion and the hypocrisy And what is it to be a human being? What is it to be alive? What is it to be a feeling being? And she dares to, she's secure enough in self that she's willing to explore all that means without coming across as continually maudlin. I think that's so true. And even in this first, this is the first exploration of death in her catalog, because this is track six on her debut record proper, her debut record proper as Tori Amos, that she's exploring it with such a whimsical quality to the sound and to the music. Do you think that it would be uh, something that would resonate as deeply if it had been, you know, just a sad sort of dirge? Will we pay for who we've been as a dirge? Of course not. I mean, and that's and that's the whole entire point, right? It's the juxtaposition. It is the lightness of the music with the quote-unquote heaviness of the lyrics. But the truth is, is that she's secure enough in self. And I'd be curious to know if she's afraid of dying and what her thoughts are about death mm-hmm. from when she was younger to now. There's a piece to her music that I appreciate. There's a feeling that everything's going to be okay. There's a, a quality of strength and grace that I, I feel she she has that that shines through continuously. I want to go back to the lyrics for a second. There is that reference to Judy Garland. And, you know, Tori yeah. has covered Over the Rainbow and cited Judy Garland as kind of an influence. And if I'm not mistaken, you really admire Judy Garland as an artist and performer. Do you think mm-hmm. there are parallels between Tori and Judy Garland in terms of the way they connect with an audience or anything else? I mean, I all great artists do that because it's their willingness to be vulnerable. It's the willingness to have the audience hold space for them. And in return, she holds space for the audience. And Judy most certainly did that as well. You know, and I I think that obviously the biggest difference is that Tori has stayed grounded, whereas Judy had a very tumultuous experience while she was here. And Definitely, like, as performers, it's it, it's rare to find those that are willing to truly see their audience and embrace their audience wholeheartedly without reserve, you know, and it's not surface and it's not superficial, but it's, it's from the heart and it's from the gut. It literally is a, a collective experience. I would say that you are able to manifest that same vulnerability in your own work, certainly in your film work, but also in listening to your podcast, you do hold that space for conversation and you hold that space for vulnerability and learning. How do you take that into your own work and how do you, as someone who allows herself to be vulnerable, how do you, how do you do that? How do you go there? 
I mean, it's it's. I have a, a tattoo on the back of my left shoulder that's right behind my heart that says to love is to die. And what I found is in my work and in my personal life and just in life that I, I try to live my life as authentically as possible, i.e. Um, the willingness to feel safe enough to feel unsafe. So the, the willingness to make a mistake, the willingness to be wrong, the willingness to have my heart broken and my life influences my work, influences my life, influences my work, you know, um, and, and there's that beautiful back and forth. And I, I'm grateful that I, I get to have other individuals to look to that set the tone simply by their own willingness to be authentic and also the willingness to be inauthentic. Like sometimes I, I need to have a moment of forgetting in order to have a moment of remembering if that makes sense. Absolutely. If you die today, Heather, what kind of phantom would you be? Oh, geez, Louise. Maternal. Mm. Maternal. Just maternal, maternally loving. I'm going to go off the cuff and ask you one more question. Who would you sit? Mm-hmm. You're, you're a phantom, you're a maternal phantom, and you've got a big dinner table, and you can invite three people in the afterlife to your dinner table. Who would you invite I would invite um, Mary Magdalene, Mother Mary, and Artemis. That's a great table. That's a table that Tori Amos would be jealous to not be a part of. I was going to say, you better send out, <laughs> you better send out some save the dates, because I think Tori's going to yeah. at least want to nab those two Marys. <laughs> I, we have to ask you something else. You know, looking at your body of work, you really have starred and appeared in so many of my favorite movies and TV shows. It is insane. Welcome to the Dollhouse, Scream 3, Princess Diaries. I could go on and on and on. But you were also on Roseanne, something, another show that is near and dear to my heart and there were several Tory jokes or references on that show and at least one you got to kind of land the punchline can you tell us do you remember that do you know like how that came came about or why there were so many Tory references on that show I, I I actually don't someone says something about Tory being annoying and you say I love Tory <laughs> yeah I we- mean that was you've got a much better memory than I do um <laughs> And again, I'm. That was like right around the time, like 14, 15 years old, that you know my musical repertoire was expanding. So I'm sure that there were conversations had where I'd mentioned Tori Amos, and then they ended up putting it in the script. I love that. That's so funny. Well, I, with many other things, I very much associate you with that. So it seems like a full circle moment that we get to speak to you about Tori on the show now. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm so, so glad. I'm so glad. Will you tell people about your podcast and where they can find it? Yes. Well, it actually um, had taken quite a hiatus and it is coming back on Monday, August 26th, which I'm very grateful for. And it's um, getting to do it with Cast Media, which I'm, I'm also really excited about. And I cheekily refer to it as an edgier version of Super Soul Sunday. But again, you know, we've, we've got some great guests, you know, Joel McHale, Effie Brown, and others. And it's nice for me to be able to sit with 
other people and shut up and listen and get to hear about their artistry and their fears and their hopes and their joys and how does that affect their work. I think that in the the culture that we're in today, there's a lot of talking, but there's not a lot of listening. And so I'm I'm grateful that I'm I'm able to provide that space and appreciate them and I'm grateful for those that spend their time listening. Ladies and gentlemen, after you're done listening to this, head over to iTunes and download Shut Up and Listen. The new episode is out today. How exciting. Thank you, Heather. You can also follow her on Twitter at Heather Matarazzo, minus the O at the end, Heather Mataraz or Raz, yeah. like Razmataz. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for being on the show, Heather. We'll call you again for Big Wheel. Get ready. Woo-hoo, sounds good. All right. Talk again. Bye. Thanks, Heather. Bye. We've made it to the live section, David. I'm ready. As part of the live section, we're going to play some radio and TV appearances as well from the vaults. We're going to expose them. She played this on radio and television? Well, sort of. Okay. This is live at Montreux, and while this wasn't aired on TV, it was eventually released. And she did it twice, because it's the 91 show and the 92 show. Song so nice, she played it twice. So we're going to play a little smash-up of Happy Phantom 91 into Happy Phantom 92. Take it away, girl. So if I die today, I'll be the happy phantom And I'll go chasing the nuns out in the yard And I'll run naked through the street without my Without my Without my I forgot my own words, can you believe it? Here we go again And if I die today, I'll be the happy phantom And I'll go chasing the nuns out in the yard and I'll run naked to the street without my something on And I will never need umbrellas in the rain I'll wake up in strawberry fields every day And the atrocities of school I can't forgive The happy phantom has no right to bitch Woo-hoo, the time is getting closer Woo-hoo, time to be a ghost Woo-hoo 
beautiful. Can that you tell whole... me in which version she was wearing a red swimsuit? 92. Well, I know, Duh. but just by listening to it. Yeah, she sounds more confident. <laughs> she sounds red swimsuit. She sounds like she's ready for any terrain, right? by land or by sea. <laughs> I'm coming at you. She's a mermaid in that swimsuit. I think that's why she wore it. For that one line, what if I'm a mermaid in these jeans of his with her name still on it, that that would crystallize in people's minds. And mm-hmm. that outfit with those jeans. Yeah. Beautiful choice. <laughs> she also performed this at live at Northwest Airlines Lounge in 1992. This was back, this was a radio performance. They were doing a radio contest and you could get Tori to come to your work. And the person who won worked at Northwest Airlines. So Tori... I mean, that's pretty great. It Can you is imagine great. what the other options would have been? I know. Like, what if the person worked at a hot dog on a stick? Right. That'd be great. She plays in the mall. Next to the batter. That'd be next great. Next to the bucket full of batter. You wouldn't even have to leave work to get a Tori concert. I mean, it would be pretty great to see Tori in a food court. Yeah. Can you imagine? No, but it would be fun. She can play anywhere, though. She can hop up that keyboard on that stand and yeah. just go. You get up and you're like, don't mind me. I'm just going to get a Cinnabon. No, keep going. Right. Um, Can I get is, you something? This is live at Northwest Airlines Lounge. This is Tori Amos performing Happy Phantom on Mountain Stage on September 20th, 1992. So for the live section, David, it's tricky because obviously not all the set lists exist, but it wasn't a tour staple necessarily. No. It wasn't a song that she would just bring out every night. It never has been. Yeah. And we've talked about this before, but it's so interesting that at this point where she had relatively few songs, she wasn't playing all of the little earthquakes Mm -hmm. and Girl and Happy Phantom in particular were pretty rare. Mm -hmm. And I don't think she played Mother that often either. Right. Why do you think Happy Phantom was so rare? Kind of going back to what she said about walking off the stage Uh and not wanting to change the mood of the show when she hit the wall. I think sometimes she breaks this out when the, maybe the crowd isn't with her and she wants to reel them back in and she mm. needs more of a crowd pleaser. But I think a lot of times, for sure, she was holding a darker space and the song just wouldn't work. Right. So. That's fair. That's absolutely fair. Whereas my thought was because of that ending, that tricky playing at the end, that she, in the versions that we have, flubbed it more often than not. Mm. And seems to get upset, you know? It never sounds quite right live, right? right. Every the time, end. the very end, it's like, hmm. Right. So I think that that probably has a lot to do with it, too. Maybe. Because it doesn't maybe showcase her abilities in the way that they are. There's got to be a workaround for that. Right. She reinvents songs all the time. Yeah, she exactly. can just change it. But. Yeah. I love that it's so complex and just like so fast. And boom, boom, boom. and it always is interesting. Oops. 
Like, is she going to hit it? I feel that way about Mr. Zebra, too. Yeah? Every time she gets to the instrumental part before Figure It Out, it seems very tricky to me. And I'm always like, ooh, she's going to nail it? Oh, she's fine. She's okay. She's got it. She's got it. Yeah. (laughs) This is the first time and the first known recording from tour. This is Toscus, Sunderland, England on December 12th, 'Twas That's brilliant. what the Brits say. Brill. Mm. Tedious. My British accent. <laughs> All of it. This is the 8th of November, 1992, almost a year later, in Albany, New York. out there for a long time yeah she's a road dog yeah she's probably driving her own van at that point <laughs> i mean early yeah i think she was uh-huh moving on to 1994 we don't have all the set lists for this sh- this tour either but tori performed it 55 times on the set list that we do have which is a fair amount of shows yeah. i would say about half i seem to remember looking at a lot of old bootlegs and set lists and happy phantom showed up quite often and there was a structure to those set lists i don't think she mixed things up quite as much at that point and Happy Phantom usually showed up in there somewhere alongside like Silent and God. Mm-hmm. Precious, maybe. Happy More Phantom. so now. And, and do you think it's because there were a lot of lighter moments on this? I do. And I think there was more variety to Under the Pink, maybe. Right. So she could throw Play in... The, the mood. Yeah. And with the loops with Cornflake Girl and God. Right. I think there were more upbeat moments. So it yeah. wasn't as... You know, it wasn't Deadly quite serious. the shocking yeah. tonal shift that it would have been otherwise. Right. So here's something from a little early in the year. This is March 13th, 1994, from an in-store performance in Tokyo, Japan. And it sheds a little light on the writing of the song, which is why I wanted to play this. I wrote this about dying um, because uh, too many of my friends were committing suicide and I wasn't going to let the, uh, you know, this death thing, I had to like exercise it out of myself, so I wrote this. Happy Phantom is not a song that changes. It's never really undergone any radical reinvention. No. Spoiler alert. It's never really been rearranged. Well, she has done it with the band and she we'll has. get there, but it seems like she's not happy with it. With like the they, band? Yeah, like yeah. they work it out and they play it a few times and then they kind of mm-hmm. abandon it. Like, yeah. nah. Nah. Yeah. Doesn't resonate with her, maybe. Yeah. Let's move on to 96. Out of 187 shows, she plays the song 34 times. And the first of which, the, this is the first recording that we have of Happy Phantom, that tour. And it has a cute little story at the beginning. This is the 5th of March in Newcastle, England. Will you guys come and bring one of the little friend on? Because this friend's going to go and let's bring another one. 
Um, girls, do you know what happens? You know when you're trying to be um, like in a moment with um, whomever, but you know because it could be he or she, I would whatever you're in a romantic moment with at that moment. But anyway, you know when you're in that moment. And you know, you've got it all happening, you know, you've got the moves, and you know you're not like 16 anymore. And I mean, nothing wrong with 16, but you know, you've just been around the block a few times and you don't like trip and be the totalest, klutziest idiot there ever was. And then all of a sudden, you're like in that moment and you're doing stuff. I mean, you know, you're doing good stuff. And he's like, oh God, you know, he is in. I mean, you could ask for anything in that moment. Absolutely anything, but you're not going to because you're not that type of person. But you could, and you know, it's that moment, and you look down, and your retainer is on his thingy. That's what always happens to me. Okay, anyway. And if I die today, I'll be This is April 12th in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Ready for this one, David? Mm. Let's play it. So 1996 was the first time that she ever really played around with this song. And I have a theory, as you heard the end right there in Florida, was a little wonky. And at the beginning of the tour, every time she would do Happy Phantom, the ending would be kind of a little all over the place. And I feel like that was frustrating her because when she was maybe working it up during Little Earthquakes, she worked on that song probably a lot. But as she's working up the new songs, maybe she lost the speed of that ending. And it felt to me like it was frustrating her. I think that allowed her to have a little bit more fun with it or be a little loose with it around the ending. So I want to play 96 versions that I think are going to blow your mind. The first one is, this is Chicago, Illinois, June 6th. This is a mashup with Loverman, Oh Where Can You Be?
Next, we have June 10th in Minneapolis. Now, listen to the end here. So besides the fact that she mentions the Velvets for the only time ever outside of Hotel, proving a connection between Happy Phantom and Hotel, which I already knew was there was a connection because when she did Hotel Solo in 2005 in Phoenix for me, Happy Phantom was next on the set list, but she skipped it because Hotel ended up being so long. I think she was worried about going over time. So she skipped Happy Phantom and went right to Mr. Zebra. But I've always suspected there was a connection between Happy Phantom and Hotel and here she mentions the Velvets here listen to this again so besides that link which is really awesome she has found a really incredible way to avoid playing that end that you know, to avoid playing that riff. So here is Austin, Texas, June 16th. This is September 16th in Akron, Ohio, and I, I love this Happy Phantom. Thank you. 
we all know that she was wild on this tour, and this song is no exception. This is Oklahoma City in Oklahoma on October 30th, towards the end of the tour, almost the very end of the tour, and this is where Happy Phantom has evolved. David. <laughs> if um, I only knew how. This is the tour where she kind of drops it a little bit. She only played it eight times, solo each. I saw it once. Where? I want to say Sacramento. Let's play that somewhere, one. Somewhere, yeah, in Northern California, somewhere no one wanted to be. Do you have a, an exciting story about it? No, I think that was the first time I'd heard it. I've heard it shockingly few times, maybe only twice. Hmm. So. It was Oakland, David. Here it is in Oakland, 1998. You know what the good thing is? You back there in the back. Check this out. This is my new friend. This is my um, Dipsy has become a a religious teacher. And uh, Dipsy has these markings. Markings of purity. Dipsy, Dipsy. Markings of purity. Dipsy. Dipsy. Look. I'm so pure. Dipsy, Dipsy. times on that tour yeah that's not a lot you think it was a request of course each time i think so mm-hmm. maybe mostly each time maybe once it's in her head then she's like oh that was fun let's mm-hmm. do that one because honestly if she's really working hard and you've got to imagine that in 1998 she's working hard with that band this is a new experience it's fun it's whatever it's amazing but there it's hard work up there leading all of those instruments leading that band and doing new things that aren't in her body really this is the first tour with the band so that happy phantom provides kind of a lighter fun mm. oh god let's not be so serious all the time moment 
It's interesting to me what she chose to arrange with the band on that tour. Mm -hmm. Like we get band arrangements of Lucifer and Muhammad and a couple other interesting things that had no percussion. Yet this is kind of an obvious choice. Classic Tori song from her first album Mm -hmm. that has kind of a built-in band arrangement of sorts. And Mm -hmm. she's like, no, I'm just going to do it during the solo section. I think it goes back to what you said earlier. Like it would drastically change the tone because that tone that she was setting with Plugged it was the band arrangements, but they were mostly all dark songs. There were it was precious things, the waitress, for God's sakes. Would be a good on, it would have been a good encore song, maybe, maybe with yeah. Raspberry Swirl or yeah. Tear in Your Hand or yeah. something. But yeah, it would be a little shocking to go from like IIE to just boom, kidding. Boom. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. You recognize that, David? That's a yeah, I don't. So even though she only did it eight times on this tour, David, each of them was really, really different. So we heard the one from Oakland. This is one from Phoenix, Arizona on September 27th. I'm going to play the little story she tells at the beginning, and then I'm going to play the end. This is a moment of forgotten lyrics in Poughkeepsie on November 13th. In 1999, Tori performed Happy Phantom only twice. That's it. Done I think done. I saw it then, too. Really? I think it was on her birthday. Yeah. I think she did Landslide and Happy Phantom. Yeah. And it's like, oh, do you think maybe she's having some issues with aging? Let's play it. All right. Yeah. 
strange. 2001, on the Strange Little Tour, she only performs it four times, which is not that many, considering it was a solo tour, considering she was revisiting her older work as well. Talk about dark sets, though. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of surprised that it showed up at all. Yeah, it definitely seems like one that she might have left out, considering it was right after 9-11, and and that really affected the tone of the shows, you know? Let's move on to Scarlet's Walk, shall we? Okay. In San Jose, California, on April 12th, 2003 guess what tori played happy phantom happy phantom surprise phantasma felice spoiler alert we've been talking about it for the last two hours guess the song <laughs> she only performed it twice on scarlet's walk and one of those was in san jose and here it is On to 2003, the Lot of Pianos tour. Tori did not perform it at all. I believe that the since first, that's not a real tour. How dare you? The first real tour where she skips the song entirely. What kind of tour? Real. Oh. A real tour. I am a real tour. If Lot of Pianos were a wooden puppet. That's an analogy I can't follow any further. <laughs> that's why I cut it. <laughs> that crackling fire can only mean one thing. It's so hot. It's the hottest summer on record. Was it? On my record. Okay. The Summer of Sin. She performs it 12 times on that tour, and this is April 11th in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And it's really playful. And Shay has a note here. I love this. Save a day today and be the happy phantom. And I'll go wearing my lollies like a chew. They'll be my ticket to the universal opera. This Judy Garland taking good by the Shay, if you love it, we love it. We love you. We love you. No matter what. Let's talk about 12 times on Summer of Sin. 12 times. 12 times. So she goes from like really de-escalating the amount of time she's playing. It's like... Yeah. She, yeah. There was a, an obvious attempt to de-escalate Happy Phantom. Right. It was out of control. <laughs> a calculated move. Yeah, but you can't go cold turkey. And now it's back. 12. 12 times. She's that's, binging Happy she's, Phantom. <laughs> there were a lot of really long numbers on that tour. And I think this is just a moment to like what it does on the album. This, the purpose that it serves on the album is to bring up the crowd. I think that's true. But I think she was... Also also exploring death a lot on this tour oh yeah so and i think it sits there alongside not you know tonally but if you're gonna have a beekeeper and a marianne which were showing up a lot throw a happy phantom on there too it just makes sense might as well yeah mommy kiss me goodbye mommy why is that phantom so happy <laughs> 
In 2007, Tori performs Happy Phantom thrice, David, mm. thrice. Within a fortnight, probably. One of those times was on the 22nd of June in Slovakia, in Bratislava, Slovakia. Say that three times fast. And this one's exciting because she gets mad. She gets mad. And she throws her shoes. Did she actually throw her shoes? I've seen her throw her shoes. Nobody wants to talk about this. And I don't think that there is a recording of it. But she threw a shoe. It was on when me, Dora, and John were on the UK tour, Summer of Sin. It was either in Nottingham. Yeah, it was. I think it was Nottingham. Whatever was the last show that I did on that stretch, she threw a shoe. And she said, don't mess with me or something. You don't want to mess with me. I'm the beekeeper, bitch. That's what she said. I swear to God, that's how I remember it anyway. And anybody who was there, John, Dor, please write us in. I'm the beekeeper, bitch. Don't you remember that? Anyway. When she throws a shoe, does she immediately regret it? Like, can I have that back? Yeah, and then they give her back the shoe. Really? She's like, thank you. Give that back to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she does. It, yeah. That sort of takes the wind out of your sails a little bit when you throw something at someone <laughs> and you're like, I'm going to need that back. She's like, that's a Manolo Blahnik. <laughs> Here she is throwing a shoe. If I got today, I'll be It's funny that she only performed it three times on American Doll Posse Tour, and two of those times were recorded for posterity Yes, on the Legs and Boots series. Mm -hmm. One of those in particular has been requested by David as a special request that we must play. Anything Halloween related? There's nothing I love more than when Tori like maybe kind of overshoots with what she thinks the audience response is going to be. When she's like, yeah, this one's a toe tapper, a barn burner. They're going to lose their fucking minds. And she's doing that thing where she's like putting on her lip gloss and the band kicks in. Anyway, at the beginning of this, she starts and then she goes, come on. <laughs> like You can see her like, you know, raising her arm over her head. <laughs> like she wants people to start clapping. This is Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, October 30th with the band. Come on. So if you watch the video of this performance, or if you were there, you remember that the crew came out and danced in costume. Everybody was in costume. Yoav was dressed as Tori. Here they are doing this now. David, I think that's what the come on was about. It's like, come on, bring out your costumes. And I'll go chasing the nuns out in the yard. And I'll run naked through the streets without my mask on. And I will never need umbrellas in I wake up in strawberry fields every day And the atrocities of school I can forgive The happy phantom has no right to bitch Ooh-hoo, the time is getting closer Brilliant. Brill. She also did it one time after that on 6th of November in Chicago, which you can purchase on iTunes. Go get all those legs and boots. I bet if we all made a concentrated effort to buy all the legs and boots this week, we could talk her into releasing a live album from the vaults. I bet. 
I don't know. She'd probably just say, why do I need to? You just bought six of them. 27 of them. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Moving on to the 2009 Sinful Attraction Tour. It was sinful and... Attractive? Yes. You want to know what else 09 was? Tell me. Phantomless. Zero? Zero out of all the shows. A big fat fail? A big fat nothing. And then in 2010, in the midwinter and summer tour in 09 in 2010, zero again. It was also a no thank you. Yeah. She didn't play it again until Night of Hunters on the 22nd of December in Dallas, Texas, the last night of the tour weird yeah here's that and that's great Must have. I usually request, but I also feel like she forgets about this song, but sees it as a little bit of a treat. Mm -hmm. Like it's something special. Come on. When she <laughs> Come on. In 2012 on the Gold Dust Orchestral Tour, David, uh -huh. she did not do it at all. Is that a shock? No. Not really. And then the song came back one more time in her career to date on the Unrepentant Geraldine's tour on August 1st in St. Louis, Mo. And here that is. And this is the last time Tori's played it to date. She didn't play it at all on the Native Invader tour. So roll it, Oliver. Make it good. So it's been so long since I've done this song. I can't remember. So we're gonna learn it together. And you know the model, guys. If you fuck up, that's fine. In my world, it's fine. Because we just do it again. That's right, I'm not a pilot. Good thing, eh? Okay, we're just musicians and, you know. Okay, hard of hearing and all that. Now, okay, so lyrics. Menopause is brilliant. You gotta get over the, the downsides. But if you forget things, the great thing is you do. It doesn't matter. Because you don't remember. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm happy in my idiocy. So, um, I gotta see my key changes and everything. I know this is a bit unorthodox if this is your first time. You think this is my first rodeo? It's not, Cowboy. <laughs> say something you're not gonna like why would you say something i don't like i'm afraid that this is one of the songs that we may never hear again no not gonna happen all right little earthquakes tracks we'll hear again all of them mm, i don't know about this one no she brought it out two of the last three tours all right well if one's gonna go i think it's this one or me and a gun yeah that might go well that makes me sad way to end the show on a sad note no we're David. gonna be happy phantoms no no i'm a sad if i die today i'll be the happy phantomless phantom
think I've ever gotten this live. Maybe you should ask for it then, and you can make no. make a liar out of me. No, and no, I got it. other things to request. Okay. I've, every day my tour requests for the next tour chain. Tell me, where are they now? Right now, Give I want a tour stat update. Ever yeah. since we did our tour all year episode with me on it, uh-huh. oh, that was a good one. Remember you, where we talked about you the whole time? Oh God, I love you. Anyway, I regretted not working on hotel in 2017. I should have just focus my energies on hotel solo it would have been amazing she was in such a dark place that tour right with the whole soundscapes and loops and it would have been great it was hard enough the first time though to get it you mean yeah yeah i don't know that i could have gotten it i think i sensed that right away whatever it's fine she was in a hard place vocally too with being ill because yeah she got sick able to that hit tour the high notes yeah I think that if tour were to start right now, if meet and greet was happening right this second, I would ask for police me solo. Police yourself. That's what you'll say. It's like, oh, honey, no. Wouldn't that be the best? Police me solo? No. Tori, <laughs> if you, you asked police her for me, police me and she just went, police yourself. She's police, eh? <laughs> what do I want to ask for? I'm probably not going to ask for anything. Why wouldn't you go to a meet and greet and request something? I don't need to. I'm not no saying No one needs to. David, we don't do this because we need to. We do it because we want to. It may change, but I'm content with my touring experience over the years. I don't think there's anything I absolutely need to hear. Snowblind. Then ask point. for Snowblind. I'm not doing your dirty work for you. It's not dirty work. It's pure and clean as the fresh driven snow. If I was going to ask for something, I might be kind of obnoxious about it and become one of those people who's like, can you do Tallulah but without the tornado mix? Please don't be that. I kind of want... Can you do cooling with the brambles? I want bad company, but Ooh, I want it 94 it. style no. with the running up that hill bit. She's not that girl anymore. What girl? When she was everybody else's girl, one day she became her She own. played girl at like 10 shows last time, <laughs> so I know that's not what well, you're saying, but still. if she can do that, she can play bad company with a little bit of running up that hill eh. or just like you said it would be Well, David, that was a very fun episode to do with you. I agree. I want to thank everybody who's still listening to our incessant ramblings on Tori Amos, and thank you for joining along in this massive journey with us. Yeah. If you're still listening, then please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Amos, to help us keep this little show on the air throughout the entire catalog. If you really like what we do, follow us on our social, at Songs of Tori Amos, across all platforms, that's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us all over the internet, Songs of Tori Amos, Com. You can find us at songsatoriamus.com slash remix archive, where we have our wonderful remix archive on our website, which includes this song right here that you're listening to right now, which is the Nun Chasers mix of Happy Phantom. I love it. I love this version. Can you believe we're halfway through Little Earthquake? I can believe it. On to, tra- on to track seven. Thank you for listening. If you're listening for the first time to our show, thank you for being with us. You can write us a review on iTunes, please. The reviews always help to keep us fresh and current and at the top of the list when you search Tori Amos on podcasts. Shockingly, we're not, even though there is no other show that devotes hours, days, months to talking about Tori like we do. And we do it because we love it. And we love you. And Tori. And Tori. So anyway, thanks for listening. If I die today, I'd be the sweaty phantom. It's really hot in here. If I die today, I'm going to haunt the shit out of you. Me? (laughs) Everyone. You're presuming that you're going to get to die first? Everyone. No. No. I get to die first. (laughs) Why? Because. We can fight about it off the air. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again soon. Bye. Bye. Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriamus.com. Mm-hmm.